and welcome back to my podcast. If you are already a listener and welcome if you're here for the first time, let me tell you quickly about it. It is a podcast where I interview people that I admire and as a thank you, I paint them a little portrait that is usually on a reused piece of cardboard just to make it a little bit more sustainable because I really love reusing stuff. But let me tell you about today's guest. It is Victoria Dunford, a person that is really, really close to my heart. I've known her since 2015 and she never ceases to amaze me. Her dedication, her ambition, her really hard work, of course, with the support of other people that are involved in this charity, volunteers, donors, associates and so on. I'm talking about a charity called Mad Aid. Got her to this point that, you know, we're nearly 10 years down the line seeing how this charity is growing and the level of achievement is really really impressive and not only that but even her majesty the queen noticed that and decorated victoria with the british empire medal so if you don't know about victoria if you don't know about this charity you'll find out more in this episode so i invite you to listen to all of it it's really inspirational and just as a little announcement i'm also putting one of my paintings for auction and if you're listening to this episode a week or more later than the episode was published the chances are that the auction is finished already So please check my social media for that because I'll do the announcements there on how you can bid and if the auction is finished already, I'll let you know. Do enjoy this episode. If you can, make a donation towards this charity because you know it's hard times for everyone and especially for charities that they have running costs every month and all the events that they used to organize for raising the amount of money needed to run the charity were obviously gone. So if you can littlest amount of contribution monthly or even a one-off donation you're welcome to do so on the website that is called mad-aid.org.uk so that's m-a-d-a-i-d.org.uk enjoy this episode Victoria and welcome to my podcast. Hello Daniela, thank you for inviting me. That is my pleasure. We actually met in around 2015 when I took you an interview for my blog. That was a long time ago and I can't believe the time is flying so quickly. But um, I'm so happy that I've known you then because I, I grew to see all your achievements And I'm so proud of you and so happy about all your work that you're doing. But let's start by taking you back a little bit to when you, so you're basically born in Moldova and you were studying there and you did an exchange uh, during your studies and you went to the UK for a few months, then went back to Moldova. But uh, this is when you fell in love with the UK, is that right? And you decided to go back to the UK. Yeah, uh, my first arrival to UK was in 2004. Mm-hmm. I was in the fourth year at the university and I had the chance to come for a summer a big program, like a work exchange experience. And I really did fall in love with the uh, UK and mainly with uh, their ethical, how they used to work. My first shock was that every single manager and boss used to work where we was in a farm in Canterbury. And as you know, in Moldova, we 
grow up with that idea that the managers and the bosses, especially in Soviet Union era, they don't do much work, they just point the finger. And that was my first wake up call as for this culture. Uh, but everything was so new and so overwhelming. And yes, my I had to go back to finish university because I was on, I've studied for four years and I only had one year to finish. That's why I decided to go back. Um, but my aim was I have to come back and learn everything is possible to learn, get as much experience and bring it back to Moldova. So in 2006, I came back after graduating. Wow. So even at that point, you knew that there is a lot that you can implement in Moldova. Yeah, absolutely. My, my, when I came second time, first time, my English was really bad, right? It was non-existent. Even second time was pretty non-existent. Um, but I sort of understood things, how they work. And so my second time, I came with a concrete plan. I have to learn everything, to earn money to buy myself a flat in Moldova. But at the same time, to, earn, to learn every single experience possible and implement it back in Moldova. So I came with two years, very strict plan how to learn everything, how to take all that experience and return to Moldova. And I promised to my mom, I will never stay in UK. I'll come back to Moldova. Oh, wow. You were so driven even then. And I know you said in some interviews that your heart was still in Moldova when you moved to the UK. Uh, however, you did meet your now husband, John, and you had your life in there already. And at some point you started working for the NHS. Uh, and um, so I see you as a caring person, obviously. But what did you what did you think made you want to work for the NHS at that point in time? Uh, basically, when I met John, my English was still not very good. Um, I had an analytical chemistry degree. I have tried to do a lot of work experience and to try to integrate myself in my field. I even started the open university courses to legalize my um, chemistry degree done forensic science and everything was new and interesting but living on Isle of Wight there's no many opportunities mm-hmm. and as I was learning the language as every single immigrant coming to you try to find the job which is not too bad it pays okay but in the same time it learns new skills and uh, I came across with NHS opportunity and I started working there my all-time dream was to become a doctor at some point in my life wow. so I always wanted to be a doctor and NHS was brilliant, so I've learned and I've done every single course possible, and I even took all the paperwork to I thought I can start make, doing a medical degree here. Uh, but at some point, I analyzed which is a little bit too late in my life, so uh, I gave up on that. And working in NHS was interesting, but very soon became very monotone for me, so mm-hmm. I couldn't use my brain to the full potential. Uh, I loved it. They loved me. I've, I've, it came to me very naturally for some for some reason. I don't know why, but uh, caring for patients came to me very naturally. Um, but then I uh, realized how much we can do with this NHS equipment back in Moldova. And I saw the NHS replacing the equipment frequently, the expiry date, the all sorts of reasons, the new equipment, the more updated, more up to, to uh, like modern and all those equipment, then I thought they will be great in Moldova where the beds are still very rusty and very Soviet Union and the mattress, the wires are coming from mattress. And this is how I started the charity. Wow, I love that, that you saw 
kind of you saw the link between those two because i know that even before you started working for the nhs your husband visited moldova with you and he saw the appalling conditions in hospitals in moldova for example and then after you started working for the nhs you realized that actually this is what it can be and this is what it should be and then you found the solution to basically recycle all these things and save them from going to landfill in the UK. And instead you, you decided to send them to Moldova. But that was the tip of the iceberg probably, because once you started doing that, you discovered more and more issues in Moldova, isn't it? Yes. So uh, when I started the chart, when I came that day from the shift, I'll remember like today, that was 2012. So I came from a day shift from NHS and we sat in a living room and I said to John look they're taking 30 beds out they're like brand new they came from maternity ward no one in maternity ward stays too long in hospital so like brand new can you imagine them going to Moldova how lovely it will be and he looked at me and said if anyone can make it happen it can be you so first thing I started doing some research and it I didn't use google and internet as much at the time so I start looking a little bit. I've asked my neighbor, how do I start the charity? First thing I've learned to take medical equipment to Moldova, you have to be registered organization. You cannot deliver them as physical person like we used to do with toys and we used to take stuff ourselves. So I thought, okay, we'll do an organization. Can't be so bad, can't be so hard. And this is how the charity started. When I went back to Moldova, explaining to different stakeholders where what I want to do everybody say well you never be able to succeed that you never pass the border with medical aid the border will eat you alive and uh, but the doctors in hospital they keep (laughs) the list was going big and bigger they needed everything and visiting with John Mother and Child Hospital in Kishinev that was a wake-up call even worse than a a birth hospital uh, John couldn't stay there more than five minutes. He was really frustrated because he said oh. that she, no child, child should be put through this uh, condition and no parents should witness their child going through that. So I listened to everyone. I came back and I thought, now this can happen. We'll make it happen. Must be some regulation, must be some rules, must be some laws. And this is how we made it happen. I registered the organization. We took those beds. In the meantime, we found out a, a child in Moldova asked us for a wheelchair. So we started inquiring who will donate us a wheelchair. And very short, living on Isle of Wight is a very uh, close community. So everybody knows somebody who knows somebody. Uh, it's more like a village in Moldova. So they soon we found out that Isle of Wight prison, they are repairing the wheelchairs. They're bringing them back to scratch like new, even painting them what color you want and make army for boys and pink for girls and all sorts, like flowery. And they came to us and said, if you have a home for them, we'll donate to you. So they donated us first 200 wheelchairs. Uh, I thought 200 should be plenty because we don't have many disabled children in Moldova. Mm. We don't see them around. But then I wake up to new, <laughs> new call and I saw how many disabled children are and every single one of them, right, 99% of them are isolated. Uh, how many children would grow up in adults like 30, 40 years of age who never been outside the house unless somebody was lifting them physically and put them outside to breathe some air because no wheelchairs. So we took wheelchairs and then it snowballed. So from wheelchairs, delivering them, we saw the potential in kids, let's do a center for them. Let's show how it's to be done. And 
all these projects, looking back, I don't know if Medate is a right name for it because looking bad, back, I don't, I don't know how mental I was to check all these projects with so little experience I had at the time. So the trustee sign up, my trustee, when we started the charity, they signed up for three, four trucks with medical equipment from UK to Moldova. And they had to grow with us and was difficult at the time for them, was very worried. But they never poured cold water on me. They found the balance how to bring me with my feet on the ground but in the same time to keep my enthusiasm and my passion alive. Wow. Wow. I know that you ha- you wrote a book as well and I read it and it's amazing. It's um, available in English and Romanian and in, the English version is called Get Mad. So I understand when you say <laughs> that you think of yourself as being mad, but mad in a very, very good sense because this ambition, as you say, while other people kept you on the ground, you kept that huge ambition and this is so so impressive and it's yeah it's wow well done for that it's really impressive tell me a little bit more about i know you touched um on the situation uh with people with disabilities who you called when when i first interviewed you you actually said people with special needs because you found even that word to be a bit wrong because um as you gave me the example again in that interview if if a person is in it expert in it you can't say that that person is disabled in medicine or something like that so you see them as special people tell me a little bit about the situation in moldova more than you you just described so first of all they were isolated what other issues did you did you um uh, found out in moldova that they were happening with these special people Basically, special needs children, they they became a burden for society as a legacy of Soviet Union. So it, only after 2010, the many international organizations start taking them out of, uh, in a light, in sort of, not in light out of the houses as a, as a physical, uh, but as an analogy, sort of putting them on a map that they exist. And as I said, I thought we don't have any because in UK you saw a lot and in Moldova you didn't see any. But when you go to the residential places in Moldova, like it's one in North where it's 400, over 400 uh, people with special needs, they are from all sorts of ages. So they grow in that residential until they became old. And, and then you see the potential and those special needs ch- uh, kids and then adults, they have potential to give. Steve Hawkins. He would have born in Moldova. He would have been no one. Helen Keller. She was a best writer and activist, civic activist, and she was blind. So those kids, and they have potential. But Moldova never had legislation for them. So you wouldn't be able to employ a disabled person until 2012. So it was forbidden to be employed. The schools never been adapted for inclusive education. Yes, we have on legislation. Um, uh, steps it's been done very much in last sort of 10 years since 2010 uh, with a lot of very good legislation for them but they're not implemented properly yet because it's not funds and it's not uh, infrastructure mm-hmm. so we decided to build a center as a model for the country um, as few more now to have early intervention so to bring to give them the therapies and speech and language therapist and all sorts of treatments to 
make them go to mainstream school. So this is our main aim to bring as much treatment in their early age so they don't have to uh, be in a special needs like special needs center like our day center where but they have can go in school and we have quite good success stories of kids going to school like having three months of sensory therapy and speech and language therapy an autistic child and he went to school um, child who came with um, partially paralyzed and he couldn't walk um, after very intense physiotherapy one day he started walking and the teacher wow. said to him oh you're going to really uh, sort of make your mom happy today and he said no I'm going to watch for another three days on his birthday and show her I can walk they they are normal kids and when somebody comes and start crying I just get frustrated because they're normal kids they want to play they want to they have their jokes and um, so this is the the center was as a model I wanted to I want still I still haven't got there to show that they their potential can bring um advantage to the economy they can earn uh, wages they can pay taxes mm-hmm. not just be a burden as for isolation now with covid every single one of us understood what isolation means and now imagine that some of those kids was 14 years in this isolation yeah so i copied the center for disabled center um, child, the phoenix center so for disabled children special needs children we copied the model from uk so I visited many here and I've done the infrastructure probably better than in UK because I put a lot of heart and soul. But when we brought the children to the center, we couldn't use the same educational model because our six years of age were 14 years of age, but I was on the same level. So mm-hmm. we had to start from basic with reading, writing, and and it was some but we have a great success stories, and I really hope centers like this will be everywhere across Moldova and across East Europe because it's a problem across the ex-Soviet Union countries. Wow. This is a huge amount of work, but I also know that you had a lot, a lot of difficulties even during uh, building this center, even with authorities. How did you deal with all that and how did you cope emotionally and generally speaking? How did, how did you go through all that? Um, hard. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, I always say I don't. I'm not as proud for making that center what it is today, but I am very proud for making every single project bribe-free. So we, I put a very early in all our work, a foot on the ground, and I said we're never going to pay any bribe, even if five euros would have saved me a lot of headache many times. But it was my principle, and I'm standing by this. Um, and that makes things harder in a country like Moldova. But we thought, I always knew the money from donations, the donors' money should not go in any sort of cut corners. We should make everything done properly. And we have done it hard, but we have done it. It was hard at the beginning because no one understood why, who are you? And they probably was right in one way or whatever. Who are you to take these kids from their home? And yeah, who, who was I to, to take the kids and show them different life and try to teach them? And but in the same time, who would we not be if we don't do something we think is right? So, um, yeah, I remember like today, I've, I've said this in so many interviews, but it's really stuck in my head. Uh, we went to Vice Minister of Social Protection at the time in 2014. 
15, maybe early 15 before we opened the center. All I wanted to ask is, do I need some special permission? Uh, what, what, how can I work with them to make it better mm-hmm. and improve and uh, maybe use the experience if I build any experience at time? And I was with John. John couldn't speak English uh, for Romanian. And he was talking in Romanian. And he said to me, you never will succeed. You, you'll never do anything with them. Uh, why you bother? And I start crying. And I'm very strong. And I don't cry very often. And I start crying. And John said, I don't care. He's vice minister. However, you translate to me what he said, why I'll start talking myself. As he, he never knew who John is. John could have been the biggest donor in the world. And yeah, he could exactly. speak Romanian. So these people, I don't think, but those words he probably forgot as soon as he left the building. And I will never forget because they, they really drove me to, to make it happen and, and show that it's possible. Um, it's shame. But the reason I cried is because I thought the people coming to this institution to ask for help, the Minister of Social Protection at the time. And I came to offer help. Okay, at the time we thought the investment would be about 200,000 euros may have not been a lot for them. Mm-hmm. But I said to him, forget about the disabled for a minute. Think about the job opportunities will be created, about economy, about this center. I'm not going to take it back with me in UK. It's going to be something nice in the community. I didn't worry about that. But we start, when we opened the center, we took the kids to every single event in a, in a sort of in town, uh, like a village day and uh, uh, 31st of August, the language day, Europe day. So we always want with kids everywhere and the community start growing with them, see how they are transforming and how not, and they start sort of helping. So we got much more help from local community in last three years, four years. So you opened their mind to what? Yeah, so we, we change the perception and uh, the society approach to, to disability in a, in a big way. That's amazing. So you mentioned also job opportunities. Obviously, you you created the space for people to be employed. But was it hard to find the right people? Did you need to train them a lot to, to work in the center? Yes, I was lucky, in, I think, because we were, we got quite good people. Very few we had to change. But yes, everyone was on a six months probation because um, I knew you can't work for money in this environment. You either have heart and desire what you you would not be able to work just for money. It's not, it's something new. Uh, but we've been lucky. We found quite good. Uh, we do invest a lot, a lot in the training and continuously formation of them. Oh. So, so um, it's been seven years since you have uh, been involved in and created Mad Aid. Is that right? Seven years? No, next year will be 10. It's nine years. 10? Oh my next God. Year. 2022 will be 10. It's My nine. math is re- really wrong. I, I don't know. I read it somewhere that it was seven, but uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't check the year, year when it was founded. Ten years. Wow. The time uh, is nine. The 2022 will be 10 years, and I hope that all the projects will be as they want it to be, the all sustainable. And Yeah. So during these years, you managed to deliver equipment, not only to hospitals, but also to police stations, and fire stations, you delivered equipment to other countries as well, like Romania, Bulgaria, uh, even in countries in Africa, if I understand right. Um, You've also built the Phoenix Center and it has also the complex for older people that you you look after older people as well. well. 
Um, yeah, tell me a bit about uh, achievement during these nearly 10 years and a little bit maybe also about this uh, part that uh, looks after all the people as well. Yeah, we um, obviously Moldova was our uh, main focus. Uh, the, we send uh, equipment to Bulgaria, to Romania, to Africa. One week we had more equipment than we could afford to pay the transport to go to Moldova. Uh, getting enough quality equipment is not as hard. Mm-hmm. Um, raising funds to pay for the transport and storage and stuff is harder. So uh, in, we, we still want this equipment to be saved and doesn't matter which kind of, which part of the world ends, it still will save somebody. So we partner with different organizations to take equipment in other countries when we couldn't afford to send it to Moldova. Uh, we've sent to Moldova over 70 trucks with aid by now. 73, I think. And yes, we worked in 39 hospitals, institutions, organizations, uh, orphanages, uh, kindergartens, schools, as you say, fire station, police. And also in uh, for disabled, we send over 700 wheelchairs, crutches, zimmer frame, and all the people with special needs need. Uh, the Phoenix Center has been opened in 2015 and is run on donations since. In 2017, we've got a yearly intervention and rehabilitation uh, uh, accredited, licensed sort of by the government, and we have a small contract with them, so covers about 40% of early intervention cost. Everything else goes from donation. And I knew it's not sustainable. It can be run for long term. It was very, very much dependent on me. So if something happens to me, the Phoenix Center, you don't know what will happen with the Phoenix Center. And I didn't want that. I want the Phoenix Center to be sustainable. Uh, we did try to see if the government we can get any kind of partnership contracts and like the school because for children with disabilities a day center is more like a social center but it, we give them education inclusion and all sorts it's not funding in moldova government for this kind of things and it's not um, you can't blame them because the social services are so many and it's so much money needs invested in this is so dilapidated over the years so we've, I thought I'll think outside the box and start doing, doing something to generate funds in order to sustain Phoenix Center. In the same year, I visited, a, I thought more like a rehabilitation kind of thing, or I, I was trying to still to formulate in my mind, what can I do to generate funds, but at the same time to bring the benefits to the people. And I visited the care home in Rishkan in the same town, was worse than joining hospital in a few years back. So I could only last five minutes. It's a memory, it's a Dutch picture in my head. It's, my mind it still stays now. It's two by three room, four beds, the commode next to the beds. The beds was, anyway, it was, for me, it was bad. The smell, the condition, the, was bad. So I walked out and I thought, anyone can get here. I can be well tomorrow and somebody will check me in Moldova. Something may happen to me and my mom may end up there. So was, all these memories, it just really was so awful. But before I worked in NHS in UK, I worked in care home. So I knew exactly how care home should be. So I thought, now we're going to start a care home. It's plenty of uh, children like myself. It's plenty of us who left Moldova and we left behind grandmoms and parents. And we, we set our life here. Something happens. We can't not take the kids from school and go to look after them because this is how it used to be in the 
before the mom used to look after grandmom and we used to look after mom and the family used to care for themselves. So I decided to bring a new example and create a care home for, and this is really a model for the country, it's unique in its own, own way. It's got all the equipment to lift any kind of person. Used to drive me mad when I used to, uh, the social services used to tell me, oh, we can't move, it's bed bound. How a 14 years child can be bed bound? It's impossible. It's just, he's not bed bound. We just don't have equipment to make him not bed bound. Yeah. So we brought all the equipment, we've developed a care home, very nice with, with a lot of thinking. So I always say I developed a care home, but when I get old, I'll be happy to stay there. So it's more like a four-star hotel for Moldova. Uh, also a lot of discussion of architects, why do you need a bathroom in every bedroom, why do you need in suite, why can't you have one bathroom for a whole hallway, and, but I've done the way I wanted it with button to the bed, with internet, with TV, like a proper. And then we come to the point to open the care home and employ the staff. And then I realized that in Moldova, we do not have training for cares, full mm -hmm. stop. No for cares in hospital, no for cares in care home, non-existent. That was another wake up call for me. So we brought a team from uh, USA. Uh, we had some partnership there. So we trained our staff how to run, how to be cares, proper cares. And in the same time, now we work with uh, BRD and government to try to implement these care packages across Moldova, which hopefully will happen at some point this year or next year, thanks to COVID, would have happened. But yeah, care home is not just the first model in the country, it's the first one who has trained staff and also the money. So it's a social enterprise, we have a cost to stay in a care home. It's not free like a children's um, center. But the money generated from care home, the little surplus will help run the Phoenix Center so the complex will become sustainable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Did you see anyone being interested into looking at this model and thinking maybe they should expand it in Moldova or it didn't have such sort of interest yet? No, um, not yet because we opened very late in 2019. We've done the training in 2020 and we've done the training uh, We just in February. We had the team from America done the training. They left and we locked down. Mm -hmm. uh, like everybody else, we locked down. We sort of stopped and we had to adjust. Right, we haven't stopped. We've done the campaign for the doctors. But now we reopen it. I hope this is my next move. Is hopefully, hopefully to lobby it enough who saw each another mayors and people from another villages they first thing they want to come and open one in hours come and open one in hours yeah. it's not the idea the idea is for them to copy and we have enough care homes in moldova we just need to adjust them and uh, but yeah we started we've changed the legal framework so we worked very hard uh, again with brd and we are changing the legal framework so the care homes will be built from now on they will have to follow some basic uh, structure and bring a little bit of dignity and respect to those people. So. Tell me a little bit, uh, you, you mentioned um, the thing that you said about helping doctors when coronavirus started. So I know that you partnered with two other people and you started raising this campaign to raise funds to offer hot drinks and hot meals to doctors and ventilators and PPE. Tell me a little bit about uh, this because you're, you always like to make an impact. And I was 
very happy to see that you reacted super quickly, even if you had all those other things to look after and you still wanted to help in this area as well. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, we worked in hospital in Moldova for eight years. This is how we started. The charity started to work in hospital. So I know exactly what the ho- which condition the hospitals are. And I even have a picture somewhere from 2013 packing the equipment to send to Moldova. And we found this FFP3 masks. And I have a picture with, with laughing with volunteers. So that's thinking what kind of mask this is. <laughs> Until last year, we understood how expensive and how important that mask is. So when uh, Anatol and Anna, they campaign actually started from them and they say which, and what NGO worked in a hospital sector and can manage a crowdfunding campaign. So obviously I jumped at and said we, we worked in and we can do. And obviously we have a charity in UK and NGO in Moldova. So between us, we will be able to manage the campaign. And this was, again, within one hour we discussed and within our, one hour we had the campaign done. So next morning was ready to be launched. And our idea was to raise 20, 30,000 euros, hopefully, and encourage doctors until the don- big donations will come is to encourage them, not just the doctors, but across the board, all medical teams from the cleaners and the driver, ambulance drivers and everybody, sort of to give them... A, a support that they know alone, somebody else is thinking about them. Campaign took different uh, sort Term. of terms. Yeah, it's, it's jumped from our main goal to raise nearly 250,000 euros, so nearly 5 million lays. And that was different. So now we had to think what can we do sustainable? How can we protect them? How can we buy equipment that will last for many years? So I was very much for buying equipment because I knew equipment will last generation after generation from ventilators, ECG, oxygen concentrator, everything was needed. We had the money, but we now I had to buy stuff because whole world looked about the same, was yeah. trying to buy the same thing. Speaking all the languages, having connection in China and everywhere else, volunteers and stuff, we have managed to to source. So yeah, from ideas to buy coffee and some masks, we ended up buying ventilators and all sorts of equipment, oximeters, all and hundreds of tons of disinfectant soap. So that we helped every single strategic hospital uh, for first three months. So at the moment, uh, originally was two when they was developed three, four, and COVID hospital, we helped set that up with bedding and pillows and blankets. So yeah, we managed three people in different kind of, one in Moldova, one in Romania, me in UK, and my team in Moldova dealt with all the uh, paperwork, like invoicing and transfers and stuff. We managed to raise 5 million lays and make a huge impact. And we sort of kept the the fourth until the Romanian came with a big donation, until UN came with a big donation, because they had a procurement procedures they had to follow, and we managed to act straight away. And in results, it's a lot of campaigns, like small campaigns in villages started, which was really good as well. Uh, I really cannot uh, stop being amazed by you. You're always doing these very, very kind and generous things. And, but this situation as well, Obviously, it stopped all the events because a lot of the fundraising that you were doing for MadAid 
were through all sorts of events that you were organizing. And um, a lot of that was finished. How did that impact the organization? Because you, you have at the moment huge costs that you need to, you know, you need to pay staff, you need to pay all the costs related to the, to the center. Um, how did this um, global situation pandemic uh, affected MADAID? Affected quite badly, like uh, every other charity and every other business. Uh, as you said, uh, the events are a big part of um, uh, our fundraising uh, strategy and every event. We managed to do 2020 charitable because it was in January. And we used to joke on about COVID at the time because it was only in China. And we looked a little bit skeptical. We never thought what will happen with us in two months. Every event, event raises significant amount of money, thanks to your pictures as well, <laughs> and your drawings you do for every single auction and for every single event since 2015. Um, we had to rethink, to readjust our big uh, fundraising. Uh, my strategy is always, I go in stop mode, but not for a long time, because there's too many people relying on me. So I stop and think and take a step back. But then I build resilience and try to think outside the box. So while after doing the COVID campaign in Moldova, uh, we already sort of made a connection where you can find uh, equipment and masks and stuff. And the Isle of Wight here, the hospice and charities, they were in the same boat. So they had money, but they couldn't buy this equipment. So we start importing via charity the equipment and selling to them, um, getting donations that way. So we raised some money to keep us a little bit moving that way. I had to let uh, the day center staff going on a, a sort of um, job center, like equivalent in Moldova, like Shomash. Uh, unfortunately, that was only, but sort of is bad on, I feel bad about this because it was hard times for us, but in the same time, it's hard time for them. But I didn't have a choice. We rely on our main donors, like people who run the businesses and they took over and they say it's hard for us, but we understand and we took, they took over the term, like the terms and paid the minimum which we needed to run the center. And the team in Moldova done an extremely good job with raising funds for 2%. So if you're in Moldova and you're doing a tax declaration, please do include the fiscal code for NGOs, anything is close to your heart because it doesn't cost you nothing, but 2% from the, your tax, it goes to NGO of your choice and it's great. So we raise quite significant amount of money that, that way as well. So we survive and uh, we will go hopefully strong again. But it's hard, it's hard for, like, for everyone, it's hard for people, for businesses and for charities inevitably because charities are relying on the success of the businesses and on the prosperity of the people so yeah uh, and people can also donate directly via the website right i'll put the link yes and the monthly donation i will never be i'll never have enough words to say thank you for everybody who donates monthly doesn't matter if it's one euro or two euros or five euros those monthly donation are helping especially in cases like this is to to be able to to survive and run the charity I'll put uh, the link below um, for anyone who wants to donate. And I'll also put one painting to or an illustration. I didn't do it yet, but by the time <laughs> I'll put this episode, I'll put a painting for auction. I'll organize that too. I, 
you know, the least I can do for you. And um, thank you for always encouraging my art, by the way. You've been such a good friend to me. And I was even impressed that doing all this massive work that you're doing and you still found time to come to my first art fair to see my artwork. That was super, super um, thoughtful of you. Your art is amazing. And <laughs> people you. actually coming to the charity event and they try to look for that art. And we know... Uh, we know many people who have wow. constantly bought the same thing from, uh, from you. I need to provide yeah. you with more then. <laughs> I stopped for a while. I need, that's why. That's it. I'm starting with this auction now. Then we'll, we'll keep providing you with paintings for sale. Hopefully you can resume the events as well. And hopefully I can see you sometime uh, in 2021. I haven't seen you in such a long time. But uh, yeah, towards the end, I just wanted to, I mean, I cannot not mention the fact that you were decorated by Her Majesty the Queen with the British Empire Medal. And I know that you're a very humble person and you're very modest and you dedicate this medal to all the beneficiaries um, of the work that you're doing. But uh, it's still a milestone in, in all this um, years that you've worked along with other important milestones. I was wondering, what did you learn from all these years making a difference for other people? What did you learn as a person? Oh, I have very, very many lessons. Uh, first of all, uh, the main lesson is actually John who taught this, to, this is we do have a choice, many of them don't. And we always say, oh, well, you have a choice, you think positive, but actually there are a lot of people who don't have a, their choice, but at least I don't know they have a cho that choice. So that was my main motto and a good lessons I learned very early in a, in a stage. And every time I want to give up, I do think how I'll be different than the government if I give up on them now. So the, that thinking is keeping you going on is the hardest to go. Never give up is another lesson. <laughs> Don't let your fear over, overstep because you have many fears. It's not two ways about this. I remember that you, you, recommended, this, uh, you recommended me this book called uh, Fear the Fear but Do It Anyway. Talking about yes. fear. Yeah, uh, I remember when, and I read it after you told me about it. I read that very early in a stage as well, but you do have this fear even after reading that book and all the time because you think anything can go wrong and the swimming pool building is showed to us. doesn't matter how much good you want to do, you still end up with courts and bureaucracy and corruption thing and stuff. But uh, you learn to deal with these things and don't stop developing yourself. This, I think, will be... If I could give an advice to anyone, don't stop investing in yourself because you inevitably, if you build a business or a charity or a project, that project will grow. Once you put the foundation good, that project will grow and you have to grow with it. When I started the charity, I had to learn how to run, how to start the charity. Then I had to learn how to fundraise and how to think outside the box. And then I ended up with staff, so I had to learn how to be a good manager and good leader and how to manage the staff and how to empower them and how to train them. So every single step, you have to learn something new. And I watched the video another day and say, your organization, your business, you will grow as much as you. It wouldn't grow above you. So if you want to develop something, invest in yourself that you can take with you all the time. 
Victoria, you're super, super inspirational. I don't know, did I miss anything that you wanted to talk about and I missed asking you? Is there any project that you want to mention or something? We are building a swimming pool now. <laughs> so it's our last construction project. This, uh, again, is a model for the country, hydrotherapy one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll provide therapies for kids with disability. will be, yeah, again, fully accessible for any kind of disabilities for pe- kids from three months old to people of 200 kilograms that will be fully accessible. I've learned new things building the swimming pool. I learned uh, how not everybody is kind and not everybody goes by book like I wanted to go. So the pool should have been open in 2019. It's still not open. We are re- we've done half of the construction then and half of the construction started this week. Uh, it's a lot of uh, bureaucracy and corruption we had to pass through this and I've fought very hard as I said we going with pro court with a building company who won the tender because they haven't followed the planning and stuff and took us a long way to to cancel that contract but it's new lessons I've learned so I'm going to take them as a lessons and it's hard this this project um, this project is one I wanted to sort of I thought I'm, I'll have to give up but then I thought now I'll make it happen. And two years from now on, I will forget about these problems. So that is one of our main project at the moment going. And hopefully we will be able to finish. We'll be able to finish raising the funds and make it happen. We will make it happen. I just hope, I just hope we'll make it happen as smoothly as, as is possible from now on. Best of luck with that and all the work that you're doing. Before I leave you, I'll, I just have a set of very quick questions. Very, very quick, I promise. <laughs> What's your favorite drink? Cocktails. <laughs> What's your favorite food? I don't know how to translate. It's kartofi prashit in Romanian. So it's fried potatoes, but a Moldovan way fried potatoes. Yeah. Oh, sounds very, very tasty. What's your favorite song? Uh, some hearts are diamond, some hearts are uh, stone from Chris, Chris, Chris. I forgot his surname, Chris. We'll find him on the internet, I'm sure, with the title. Uh, what's your favorite movie? I have quite a few f- favorite movies. Which one really made an impact? I like comedies. My probably favorite will be book and movie will be Atlas Shrugged mm-hmm. by Ayn Rand. Um, it's a book I always make analogy with Moldova. So uh, how was industrialization? In uh, I know it's a fiction book, but it's so accurate with what is happening in Moldova at the moment so yeah the last one was your favorite book but you already answered to that as well yeah it's definitely Atlas Shrugged the favorite book I have many books I love I love Becoming from Michelle Obama and, and uh, The Promised Land from Barack Obama this is my last few books and I think again they are so much inspiration and talking them anyone can become anything you want you can do anything you want but you cannot do everything this i get always reminded you can do anything but not everything <laughs> oh because obviously you're wearing so many hats and uh, you need to find time for yourself as well thank you so much for the time spent with me today i really appreciate it i love everything you do and keep doing it um i'm sending you love through internet <laughs> uh and yeah well done for everything Thanks, Daniela. As I said, it's my first podcast. I'm very pleased to be here. Thank you for sharing with me. Thank you for all your art. Uh, it's making a huge impact. I probably don't say thank you 
often enough as I should in the private messages, but sorry, it's my time. Uh, thank you. I, you don't have to, to tell me because that's the least I can do and I do it with pleasure and I know that we have a special connection, so you don't have to tell me. I, I appreciate your time and everything, so yeah. <laughs> big love, big heart. <laughs>